Good morning, everyone. So I do think if you're standing, you know, sometimes people want to stay standing, that's fine. But that there should be room, you know, if you, if you want to make your way to a pew, feel free. But no pressure. So <clears throat> today's one of those days where our readings are so rich that we could pick any one of them and have a very long homily on any one of them. Um, so I just want to touch on two brief points before we jump into our main homily. So lucky you, three for one today. The first thing is just, I just our first reading, we're not going to spend any time there. Jeremiah 31, 31. Uh, really easy scripture verse to remember. It's one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 31, 31, God promises a new covenant. The Hebrew word for covenant is berith. The Greek word is diatheke. And the Latin word is testamentum. So when we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, what that's saying is that there was an old covenant and there's a new covenant. And in Jeremiah, in our first reading today, Jeremiah 31, 31, God promises a new covenant. Very important, very powerful passage, and I just want to mention one thing about it. If that's so important, and if we divide the Bible into two parts, the old covenant and the new covenant, you would think Jesus would talk about the new covenant all the time. But RCIA, you should know this. We've talked about this. How many times does Jesus mention a new covenant in his life? Once. See, they listen. Once. He only mentions a new covenant. And think about that. We divide the Bible into two parts. Once in his life, Jesus mentions the new covenant. Paul talked about it all the time, but Jesus, once. When? Good. On the night of the Last Supper. There's a cliffhanger for you. We'll talk about the Eucharist on Holy Thursday. That's kind of a sign to us that that was kind of a big deal. All right. Second thing in our second reading today from Hebrews chapter 5. So one of my buddies, I've learned, I'm like, I need to stop naming my friends in my sermons because I'm like, I don't know if I want them naming me in their sermons. Like, oh yeah, that chump father Brian, you know, the one going bald. Anyway, one of my friends, he said if he ever got a tattoo, which he, this guy doesn't have any, he said he would get... Um, an axiom from the ancient world that's mentioned today in our second reading. And there's an old Greek maxim that says, pothane, mothane. Pothane, mothane, which means to suffer is to learn. To suffer is to learn. If you're a Catholic, you and I view suffering differently. Right? The world avoids suffering at all costs, and we generally do too, so do I. But if you are someone whose life, right, and your, your eternal supernatural life has been born from the death of the Son of God and from his sufferings, you and I are called to be men and women who understand suffering differently than others. To suffer is to learn. Okay, ready for number three? 
Like, no, just sit down. <laughs> Fat chance. Keep praying. <clears throat> so, John Paul II, if you don't know about John Paul II, my dad asked me after the last Mass, he was like, you know, I just don't know too much about John Paul II. If you don't know about St. John Paul the Great, brothers and sisters, that has to change quickly. John Paul II was the greatest figure of the 20th century. It's likely that the Soviet Union would still be communist if it were not for him. Uh, he introduced the most articulate, beautiful teaching on human sexuality that has probably ever existed. He's the second longest pope in terms of his reign in all of history. He performed miracles during his lifetime. He continues to perform miracles today. There's no one like him. You have to, and one recommendation I saw, there's something I should think of this more, form.org. Get on, somebody said that to me, like, we know, we know, form.org. You still don't go, though, do you? <laughs> go. <laughs> go check it out. You will, it will change your life. I read his biography when I was in college. John Paul II is a, just everything to me. He, uh, as a Pole, his country was taken over during World War II, they always say that Poland is the country that lost World War, War, World War II twice because the Nazis overtook them during the war and then the communists took them over once it ended. John Paul II entered seminary clandestinely in secret. He worked in a chemical plant as a young man by day and his fellow workers knew he was studying for priesthood so they would cover his shift so he could go study in secret to take his exams in secret places with his professors to be ordained a priest. There's just no one like him. John Paul II supposedly had two photos on his desk. And again, one of the greatest saints in all of history. A man who changed the world. People will speak about John Paul II 500 years from now on the level that we talk about St. Francis of Assisi. On his desk, two photos. One of them was when he came to Denver in 1993 in a helicopter and was flying to World Youth Day. And he had that one because everyone said it would be a total failure and no one would come. And it was an incredible success. And the second one is a saint. He's not canonized yet, but I'm convinced he will be. That I want you to think about today. The other one was a photo of a man named Jan Tiranowski. And here's what today's homily is about, brothers and sisters, today's third homily. Today's third homily is about your life matters far more than you could ever imagine. Your decisions, your holiness, the path you take is of far greater consequence than you know right now. Cardinal Newman has a famous line where he says, God has given me some purpose in this life. I may not even know what it is in this life, but I will be told it in the next. I have my mission. You have a role. There is no other you. When I was a focused missionary, we used to say, God doesn't have a plan B for someone to take your place. 
Your role in the body of Christ at this time in history, brothers and sisters, is irreplaceable. If you don't become the man or the woman that God created you to be, no one can take your place. In 1940, when the Nazis controlled Poland, John Paul II was a very young man. I forget, he was either in his like late teens or he was actually 20. I forget the exact age. He was a very young man. His two parish priests were arrested by the Nazis and sent to Dachau, where they died. The Nazis and the communists over the rest of his young life would do everything they could possibly do to destroy the Catholic faith in Poland. And John Paul II, no one knew. He didn't know who he was going to become. He was a like, really good-looking guy, and he was, um, kind of reminds me of me. And <laughs> You guys are too easy. <laughs> oh, sorry, Lord. Anyway, John Paul, no one knew who he would become. He was impressive, but no one knew what would happen with his life. Everyone thought he was going to become an actor because he was a very gifted actor. And when he was, he was a, in his late teens, this man, Jan Taranowski, was a tailor in his hometown. Just an ordinary person who loved God. And when the two priests were sent off to the concentration camp of Dachau, Jan Taranowski gathered a small group of young men and women in the parish and he just started to love them. He had no grandiose plans but he taught them how to pray the rosary and he began to just spend time with them and to teach them about the life of God. No one knew who that guy was. But if Jan Tiranowski had not decided to give his life for the mission of the spread of the gospel, we would not have St. John Paul the Great. Amazing, isn't it? As Cardinal Newman said, right? Let's repeat that. I have a mission. I may not know what it is in this life, but I will be told it in the next. Maybe the whole purpose and the designs of providence for that man was to bring the greatest saint of the 20th century to become a priest. He did not know it in this life. I don't... I. I thought of this this morning. I always wish I had like 20 more hours to prepare homilies. I think Jan Taranowski died before John Paul was named Pope, but I don't know that, so I have to look that up. Can we just repeat next week, same homily, same time? But he didn't know. He didn't know there was going to be this big payoff. He didn't know that through his love of a small group of people, world history would change. The Divine Mercy Chaplet, who so many of you love, that came through St. Faustina Kowalska, but none of us would know it without John Paul II. 
John Paul II spread it to the whole world. He named the Sunday after Easter Divine Mercy Sunday. We have its image right there on our wall. And none of us would know about it if Jan Tiranowski had not simply loved a group of teenagers. Do you have any idea how much your decisions and your holiness matter, brothers and sisters? And here's why I bring this up today. Today in our gospel, we're in John chapter 12. And in the end of John 12 going into chapter 13 is the hinge point of John's gospel. There's two parts of John's gospel. The first part, Jesus performs seven signs. And he goes and he teaches and he heals and he preaches. And he casts out demons. And there's seven signs. And then we hit today's gospel. And in today's gospel, Jesus says this. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Something's changed. The hour is here. It's the moment that God has deigned to happen. If you remember the wedding feast of Cana, there's this theme of the hour runs all through John's gospel. There's this hour that's coming. And it's all over. So in John chapter 2, at the wedding feast of Cana, Mary knows they're out of wine. And he comes to Jesus and he says, they're out of wine. And Jesus says, what is that to me and to you, woman? And what does he say next? Remember? My hour has not yet come. There's multiple times where they try to carry off Jesus and die. And he avoids it because his hour had not yet come. And today in our gospel, Jesus looks to heaven and he knows that his hour is here. And here's the point. Jesus Christ knew he had a mission. And his entire life found purpose and direction because God the Father gave him a mission. Brothers and sisters, do you know, do you recognize that God has given you a mission? Not just me, not just the church, not just the guy next to you. God has given you a mission. And if you do not fulfill that mission, no one else will. So another priest friend of mine, I said his name at the last mass, but you're out of luck. He's very, he's just very hip. He's very cool. And um, he's a part, I might have mentioned this before, I can never remember but he's a part of kind of this lead, like little club where they get together and they smoke cigars. And I was like, hey, can I come? He's like, you're not cool enough, Larkin. I was like, dang it. Um, but he's in this club. And recently, he was talking to two of these people in this kind of cigar club. And they're atheists. And this priest was like, gosh, you know, you guys have such interesting lives. Because they, they, apparently they do all these really cool things. And they have very interesting jobs. And they're out and they seem like they're doing great things. And I, he said, you know, sometimes I'm a little jealous of all that you guys get to do. 
And he said they paused and they looked at him and they said, you have purpose. And don't ever underestimate that. Because we don't. And he said, well, what do you do if you don't have purpose? And they literally got out their bourbon glasses and took a shot of whiskey. Do you know how much people would kill to have purpose? To know that their life matters. To know that God had given them a mission. You and I, brothers and sisters, we've been given a mission in Christ. And so many of us, right, we spend our time playing the what-if game. And I do it too, by the way. Right, my life would be perfect if I had the perfect parish, which I actually do. <laughs> You're kind of a big deal. What if, right? Sometimes I fall in that trap. You know that? I can fall in the trap of thinking, oh my gosh, married people, their life just must be so dreamy and like amazing, right? And all the married people are like, oh, it must be so amazing to be celibate. <laughs> we all play that game. We think, if only I had the perfect marriage, if only my children behaved better, if only my job wasn't so hard, if only this, then my life would be good. You know what makes your life good? Love, first of all, and having a purpose to your life. Jesus had a purpose. His purpose hung over his head his entire life. It gave him energy and direction. It gave him a, a, a tireless drive to go to Jerusalem to hand himself over. Brothers and sisters, you are called to share in that mission. The Christian story is not a story of Jesus died for me and now I'm, gonna, I'm just waiting to go to heaven and hopefully I don't kill anybody on the way and then all is set. No saint ever lived that way. Not a single one. Every single saint that has ever lived knew they had a purpose they knew that without them, God's mission in their time could not be accomplished. And that drove them to know that their value did not lay in their pleasures, in their comforts, in the way people recognized them. Their purpose and their meaning of their life was found only in him. Finally, today, brothers and sisters, our readings in many ways, our second, um, our responsorial psalm is Psalm 51, where David cries out, he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, renew in me a steadfast spirit. In our uh, second reading from Hebrews 5, right, pothane, mothane, if you have purpose, if you know your mission, if you know where you're going, your sufferings are surmountable. Your sufferings are surmountable because you're going somewhere. Your penance is during Lent. Do you understand why you're doing penance? Are you doing penance because that's just kind of what we do as Catholics? Or are you doing penance because you understand that your mission demands 
that you be a person who can overcome his, his or her own desires and someone who loves God and church and the world more than themselves. Penance derives from mission. I do my penance not because I just, that's what I do as a Catholic. I do my penance because I want to be the priest that God created me to be. And I can't do it if my passions control me. I have to be ready to go to the cross with Jesus. And I'm not there yet. But by dying to myself and my desires, I become a little more free to say, yep, Lord, I'll go. I can let go of my comfort. I can let go of my desires. I can let go of my preferences because I have a mission. Do you know who the hero of the Lord of the Rings is? Don't make eye contact. (laughs) Anybody want to venture a guess? I think I heard it over here. That's right. It's Samwise Gamgee. It's not Frodo. If you watch the movies, you kind of miss this. But not if you read the book. It's been really hard to carry this whole thing for my sermon. This is a big book. (laughs) Usually I have my little notebook, and I'm like, man, Tolkien, like, seriously? (laughs) Tolkien was a Catholic writer, a Catholic thinker. He understood that we have a mission and that your choices matter. And it's not just the John Paul seconds of the world whose lives matter. It's the Jan Tiranoskis, and it's the Samwise Gamgees. The best chapter in this whole trilogy is this little chapter called The Choices of Master Samwise. If you haven't read Lord of the Rings, you're not really Catholic. You guys have to read this before Easter. <laughs> so, <laughs> I am so ridiculous. <laughs> But it go, this chapter is amazing. What's happened, this is when Frodo's climbing into Mordor with Sam. And Sam f- comes back, and he finds Frodo, and he's dead. At least he thinks. It turns out later on, Sam doesn't know. He doesn't know that Frodo actually isn't dead. I have a mission I may not know what it is in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. And Sam reminds me of me in so many ways. He always wants to go home. He's like, this is too hard. I want to go back to the Shire, right, where they have gelato. I don't think it actually says that. But he always wants to go home to the Shire, and he's been rejected by the person he loves most on earth, his best friend Frodo. And he climbs to the top of this mountain and it seems that he's too weak. Frodo's dead and all is lost. The choices of Master Samwise. And he says this, he remembered then his own voice speaking words that at the time he did not understand himself back at the beginning of their journey. I have something to do before the end. I must see it through, sir, if you understand. And it's at that moment that Sam reaches down. It's just a story, but it's moving. 
He reaches down to Frodo's dead body and he pulls the ring off from around his neck and he marches to Mordor by himself. And in Tolkien's story, if Samwise had not have done that, all would be lost. Brothers and sisters, you may not think that you're a Frodo or that you are a John Paul the Great, but maybe you're a Samwise. Maybe you're a Jan Tiranoski. You have a mission. And if you don't understand that, you're missing the whole purpose of everything we do as Catholics. Sunday Mass obligation, penance, confession, everything we do is about your holiness to fulfill your mission, and I can't do your mission for you. God has given you a purpose. He has given you a mission. You may not know what it was during this life, but you shall be told it in the next. Jesus, thank you for our purpose. Thank you that we're not just waiting around to die. Lord, you've given us a dignity we don't deserve. But Jesus, help my family, my church, help me. Lord, help us to know how much it matters that we are holy, that we are given over to you. Jesus, call us and remind us of our mission.